When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, remember, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. And now your host, Tom Powell. All right, folks, welcome back in. As the man in the intro said, this is the Second Half Podcast, and I am Tom Powell. And the reason you should go get margaritas this week is because this is the end of this God-forsaken year. This is the last episode of 2023. The year comes to an end this weekend, and I am confident in saying that the entirety of 2023 can fuck all the way off. Every fucking bit of it. Every last fucking bit of it can fuck off. This is a year in which my wife lost her best friend and sister unexpectedly at the age of 44. This is the year when my wife got a new job at an absolutely horrendous fucking company with an absolutely horrendous fucking boss that has caused nothing but fucking problems in this household. This year has been filled with an extreme lack of work that has cost us thousands of dollars over the cost. I mean, thousands. If I told you how much money it cost, you would make you fucking throw up. There have been health scares. There have been loss, uh, loss and grief. It, it's it a, a horrendous year. The only two redeeming qualities of the entire fucking year has been the two vacations we took, and even one of those was just okay. Now, I would love to say that as we turn the calendar to 2024, the misery is going to stop, but it's not. 2024 is going to start out the exact same way 2024 ended. No work for our trucking company. Me wondering whether or not my daughter has issues and when we're going to be able to get some answers uh, to some of those questions. My wife working for a company that I fucking despise. There is no... There is no light at the end of the tunnel. 2024 is going to be as equally shitty as 2023 was. And I don't go into it wanting it to be equally as shitty. I don't go into it saying, hey, this is going to be a fucked up year and I need to embrace the fucked upness. It's just a fucking fact. It's just a reality of life. My anticipation for 2024 is that I will be every fucking bit as miserable at this time next year as I am right now. And I'm here to tell you, that I don't know how much more miserable I can get. I honestly don't know how much more of this I can take. I am trying, with everything I have, to hold on. The only thing that's keeping me going right now is the fact that when I go to sleep every night, my wife is laying next to me. And tomorrow's a new day. Every other aspect of my life right now is a steaming hot, festering bucket of liquefied dog shit. I have not been this unhappy since I was a child living in my mother's house. 
And the only thing I could do to solve that problem was to get up and fucking leave. And I don't want to do that right now. I don't want to do that in this situation. I don't want to do that because I love my wife and my family. So, I'm going to go into 2024 knowing what it is, and I'm going to do my very level best to manage it to the best of my abilities. But it's going to suck. That doesn't mean it has to suck for you. You guys head into the new year with positivity and hope and a bright outlook. Things are going to be better for you. Things are going to change. And hopefully they do. Make your New Year's resolutions. Put down a plan. Do whatever it is you need to do. That that power is out of my hands at this point in time. <clears throat> okay. Before we get into the NFL picks and the news, a quick reminder to swing by my website, oldhippymedia.com. If you guys have been following this podcast for any period of time, you know what you're going to find there. You're going to find links on my uh, social media accounts, links to my other Patreon, uh, my Patreon, where my other podcast is, links to my books, links to my store, links to podcasts and articles that I've been in, my blog pieces, all of it. I'm not going to go through all of it. I don't have the fucking brain capacity to go through all of it. So just head to oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. Check it all out and, uh, I don't know, subscribe to something. It, whatever. All right, a brief football segment before we get into the news of the week. Last week I went 8-7, and seven, bringing my uh, season record to 130-95. and 95. Excuse me while I wet my whistle. Mm. Um, biggest NFL news to come out of last week. Uh, or that the Denver Broncos are willing to eat tens of millions of dollars to let Russell Wilson go in order to find themselves a real quarterback. So the Russell Wilson era in Denver seems to be coming to a close, and Denver is going to go down as making one of the worst deals in NFL history to get him. But it does seem like it's coming to a close. Uh, the other news from the NFL that was uh, put out this week was the list of the Hall of Fame finalists. And I'd like to give you my opinion on them quickly before I give you the picks of the week. Uh, The NFL finalists are Eric Allen. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Jared Allen. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Willie Anderson. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Jahari Evans. I don't know enough about, so I can't comment on him. Dwight Freeney. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Antonio Gates is definitely a Hall of Famer. Rodney Harrison, as much as it pains me to put a Patriot in the Hall of Fame, is a Hall of Famer. Torrey Holt is a maybe for me. Andre Johnson is a maybe for me. Julius Peppers is a Hall of Famer. Fred Taylor is a no for me. Reggie Wayne is a yes. Patrick Willis is a one of those guys that I just don't know ab- enough about, so I couldn't tell you one way or another. Darren Woodson, I say, is a uh, is a maybe uh, again, and then the last person on that list is Devin Hester, the return man for the Chicago Bears. And if there was ever a no-brainer pick to put into the Hall of Fame, it's Devin Hester. Devin Hester is the single greatest return man the NFL has ever seen. Period. Full stop. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I hate the Bears. I fucking despise the Bears. But I can recognize greatness. And Devin Hester is the greatest cornerback or uh, return man ever. He is the first person, and I believe still the only person. I might be wrong on that, but I know he's the first person to ever run the opening kickoff from a, of a Super Bowl back for a touchdown. I know this because he did it against my fucking Colts. If Devin Hester is not voted into the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame lacks all credibility. All right, with the exception of the Thursday game, because I don't pick the Thursday games, 
this week's winners will be the Lions, Dolphins, Bills, Bears, Texans, Colts, Jaguars, Rams, Eagles, Bucks, 49ers, Seahawks, Broncos, Chiefs, and Vikings. With that being said, time to move on to some actual news. Um, I do a lot of political news on here, but sometimes I do non-political news stories, and the first couple here are non-political news stories, with the first being, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but Jeff Bezos has invested $42 million on a clock that's going to tick once a year for 10,000 years. No, that headline is not a joke. I'm going to read to you now from Yahoo Finance. Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, invested $42 million in a monumental project, a clock designed to last for 10,000 years. The extraordinary clock is under construction inside a mountain in West Texas, according to Fox News. Bezos first announced his intention to get behind the clock in 2011, saying it's a special clock designed to be a symbol, an icon for long-term thinking, according to Daily Mail. Construction reportedly started in 2018. The 500-foot-tall clock, a vision of computer scientist Danny Hillis, is engineered to endure for thousands of years. It operates using Earth's thermal cycles, incorporating elements such as solar synchronizer, a solar synchronizer, a pendulum, a chime generator, and various gears and dials. The clock will tick once a year, a unique feature emphasizing its long-term purpose, but to in, built to endure the test of time, the clock is constructed to withstand natural forces such as temperature changes, humidity, and dust. The resilience, in, resilience ensures the longevity and functionality over the millennia. I don't really need to read any more of this article for you to, to be able to express to you how fucking insane this is. I get it. You want to build something that's going to last thousands of years. You want to build something that's going to be an epic reminder to people. Fine. Aces. $42 million? You want to leave a legacy behind that's going to last thousands of years? Help people who need help with that $42 million. Jeff Bezos could single-handedly, not with $42 million, don't get me wrong... But Jeff Bezos has the kind of money that he could single-handedly end hunger in the United States of America and still be the richest man on the fucking planet. Yet he's investing $42 million in a 10,000-year clock. That's not a legacy. Your legacy is going to be one that went to his fucking grave holding on to so much wealth while people around you were starving to death. Make a difference in mankind. Make a difference in your species' existence and survival. Leave a legacy that actually matters, not some fucking clock in a mountain in Texas that's going to last well after all of us are not even a fucking memory anymore. How fucking vain are you that you need to have your name attached to a 10,000-year clock to the point where you're going to spend $42 million to make it happen while not helping the people in this country, in this world, that need help. I, wrong fucking legacy, homie. Wrong legacy. But this is what billionaires do. Billionaires do things that damage society in many, many, many ways. They can help society, too. But in a lot of ways, they damage society. Take, take this next, next example, this next story as, a, as an example. Um, Tesla. We all know Tesla, Elon Musk, the cars, the, 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 the future of automobiles, right? Tesla has been putting robots on their assembly lines for years now in an attempt to just completely automate their system. Now, listen, automation is great. When it benefits society, Auto technology is great when it benefits society. In this instance, you're putting robots on the assembly line, which means you're taking auto workers' jobs away from them and replacing them with robots and robots that are run on artificial intelligence, which should scare the living shit out of all of us. 
this news story being a prime example. A Tesla robot has attacked an engineer. From the Daily Mail. A Tesla engineer was attacked by a robot during a brutal and bloody malfunction at the company's Giga Texas factory near Austin. Two witnesses watched in horror as their fellow employee was attacked by the machine designed to grab and remove freshly cast aluminum car parts. The robot had pinned the man, who was then programming software for two disabled Tesla robots nearby. Forgive me. Hang on. Sorry about that. Uh, my wife was having a coughing attack in the other room. She's been sick for a few weeks now, and it's been it's been a pain in the ass. It's 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 been dragging on her, and it's this cough in the back of her throat. And God, I wish she could just <clears throat> get rid of it. They got her some, on some antibiotics, but I feel so bad for her because she has been coughing since the week of Thanksgiving. Anyway, let me get back to this Tesla story. A Tesla engineer was attacked by a robot during a brutal and bloody malfunction at the company's Giga Texas factory near Austin. Two witnesses watched in horror as their fellow employee was attacked by the machine designed to grab and move freshly cast aluminum car parts. The robot had pinned the man, who was then programming software for two disabled Tesla robots nearby, before sinking its metal claws into the worker's back and arm, leaving a, quote, trail of blood, end quote, along the factory surface. The incident, which left the victim with an open wound on his left hand, was revealed in a 2021 injury report filed to Travis County and federal regulators, which has been reviewed by the Daily Mail. With no other robot-related injuries, while no other robot-related injuries were reported to regulators by Tesla at the Texas factory in either 21 or 22, the incident comes amid years of heightened concern over the risks of automated robots in the workplace. Reports of increased injuries due to robotic co-workers at Amazon shipment centers, killer droid surgeons, Self-driving cars and even violence from robotic chess instructors have led some to question speedy integration of the new tech. The injury report, which Tesla must submit to authorities by law to maintain its lucrative tax breaks in Texas, claimed the engineer did not require time off of work. Well, then everything's okay, right? I mean, who gives a shit that he was fucking attacked by a robot worker as long as he could still punch in on time, right? One attorney who represents Tesla's Giga Texas contract workers has told Daily Mail she believes, based on her conversations with workers there, that the number of injuries suffered at the factory is going unreported. This under-report—I'm sorry, under-reported. This under-reporting, the attorney said, is even included the September 28, 2021, death of a construction worker who had been contracted to help build the factory itself. My advice would be to read that report with a grain of salt, the attorney Hannah Alexander of the nonprofit Workers' Defense Project told Daily Mail. <clears throat> We've had multiple workers who were injured, Alexander said, and one worker who died whose injuries, are de- injuries or death are not in these reports that Tesla is supposed to give uh, to be accurately completing and submitting to the county in order to get the tax incentives, they said. That construction worker a contractor named Antelimo Ramirez died of heat stroke while helping build Tesla's over 2,000-acre-long Giga Texas factory, according to a report from the Travis County Medical Examiner. Last year, Workers' Defense Project filed a complaint on behalf of workers at Giga Texas with the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration, alleging Tesla's contractors and subcontractors gave some hires false safety certificates. Workers report that when they needed training, they were simply sent PDF files or images of certificates through text or WhatsApp in a matter of days, Alexander told the local NBC affiliate KXAN. There's no conceivable way workers could have even taken the training required. Alexander's allegations on underreported workplace injuries at the Tesla site, if accurate, would follow a trend of familiar findings by state regulators and investigative journalism uh, over the years. California OSHA investigators, for example, found that Tesla had left out 36 injuries 
in its required government filings in 2018 alone, confirming a prior report by the Center for Investigative Reporting's reveal team, which found that the company had misclassified a number of on-the-job accidents and injuries as personal medical cases to evade California regulators. Prior to California OSHA's findings, Tesla had stated that Reveal's claims were completely false and accused the group of secretly collaborating with laborers who were then attempting to unionize the automaker's California plant. A copy of Tesla's 2021 annual compliance report for Giga Texas, however, does at least document the software engineer's bloody robot attack, albeit in slim detail. Essentially, what this means is a couple of different things. One, Tesla's got some problems. Tesla's got some issues with actually being upfront and honest about the injuries that are taking place on their job sites and in their factories. Tesla's got a problem with being transparent with the federal government and state government in order to continue to receive tax breaks. And we are rushing as a society to integrate AI into everything we do. Damn the consequences. And my opinion on this is as follows. Technology is needed. Technology has helped advance society. Technology has also hurt society. And this is an incident where it could potentially be devastating for society. We have got to crawl, not walk, when it comes to the integration of artificial intelligence into our society. We have no fucking clue what road we just stepped off onto. We have no clue where this path is going to lead. But we know that the possibility is there that artificial intelligence could be a very damaging element to the human species. And I got to be honest with you. While we aren't living in a sci-fi movie, while we aren't living in iRobot, shit like this scares the living fuck out of me. Shit like this scares me for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're going to reach a level of automation where there aren't going to be enough jobs for the number of human beings on the planet, and we are going to have to begin taxing these automated places, uh, automated work sites, in a manner that's going to allow us to create universal basic income for all the people who just simply cannot get a job because there are none. That's bad. Secondly, as AI becomes smarter and more aware we as a society are going to be viewed as the opposition to their continued advancement. I know that sounds like conspiracy whack job shit, but I believe it. We need to slow the fuck down, figure out how to control this technology, and integrate it piece by piece, step by step, so that we can control the outcome. If we don't, Welcome to a real-life Terminator movie, folks. <clears throat> I, I don't think I could ever buy a Tesla, to be honest with you. I, I don't think I could. Just based on who owns it and the way that they handle their business. I just don't think I could. All right, moving on to a whole different kind of story. And this is about an Illinois family that bought $13,000 worth of gift certificates in order to gain access to Dis- uh, Disneyland. I think it's Disney World. What, uh, Disneyland, Disney World. I, I don't remember which one it is. Um, they were trying to save up. Like they, 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 they knew they couldn't pull off a Disney trip all in one shot, so they need to do it over the course of time, kind of save up the money. And... Uh, it wasn't Disney gift certificates that they were buying. I'm going to read to you now from CBS News Chicago. Since this is an Illinois family, I'm going to go with a Chicago news outlet. An Illinois family accidentally bought more than $10,000 in Disney Plus gift cards instead of Disney Destination gift cards ahead of their Orlando vacation. Andrea Costin's family had always talked about how their parents are getting older and they wanted to squeeze in one last big family trip until they accidentally bought approximately $13,000 worth of Disney Plus gift cards for the streaming network 
instead of Disney theme park gift cards. At first, they weren't totally sure what to do, but after Costum made a TikTok about the ordeal, she got some magical people's attention, and it all got resolved. Quote, I was like, you know, the power of the internet, maybe somebody will know something. So I made this very quick TikTok. I had also contacted the travel agent my parents were working with. His name is Ashton Anderson. So she happened to also have a brother who works at Walmart because my husband bought these at Sam's Club. So between this, TikTok, and her, I think that's how it got resolved. But I went to bed and woke up the next morning and it had gone viral, Costin said to CBS 2's Maribel Gonzalez. The family is now in Disney World on the vacation they intended to go on. Uh, so everything did turn out well. But uh, can you imagine... You think you're buying slowly but surely, bit by bit, Disney destination gift cards. We're going to buy we're going to buy thirteen thousand of these over the course of the year, slowly but surely, and then we're going to use them all to get into the park. And then you turn around and you realize one day that you have thirteen thousand dollars worth of gift cards for the Disney Plus streaming service. I, I, That would spin me into a dimension of pissed off I have never visited. I'm glad it got worked out. I'm glad people saw the TikTok. I'm glad that they're in in Orlando right now enjoying their vacation. I'm glad it all worked out for them. They might be there right now. I don't know when this news story was, was printed. My apologies on that. I'm glad it worked out for them because that's a big pill to swallow. A misspend of thirteen grand. That's that's hard. It's very, very hard to swallow. Moving on to the political news of the week. Sorry if I'm my voice is out of whack today or if I feel if you can feel uh, through the uh, through the through the radio, through the whatever speaker device you're listening to. I, I'm I'm just in a funky state of mind, man. I'm I am in a I'm in a depressive state of mind. So I'm trying to get through this. I'm gonna read you the news. I'm gonna do it the best I can. Hang with me. Next week will be better. I promise you. It will be. The next news story I want to discuss gets us into the political news of the week and it and it, and it concerns Melania Trump. I mean, everybody on the conservative right keeps asking, where's Hunter? Where's Hunter? I'm asking, where's Melania? I'm going to read to you now from The Independent. Melania Trump is so rarely cited at Mar-a-Lago that members of the Palm Beach Private Club are openly speculating about her whereabouts, according to a local author. Nobody knows where she is. Lawrence Lerner, author of Mar-a-Lago, Inside the Gates of Power at Donald Trump's Presidential Palace, told the telegraph it's like a mystery it's certainly talked about he said melania trump has scarcely been seen in public over the past year as her husband has campaigned for the republican presidential nomination being charged in four separate criminal cases and appeared frequently in court for a civil fraud trial in new york in november she made a rare appearance in public when she joined the other living former first ladies at rosalind carter's memorial in atlanta A few weeks later, Melania Trump delivered a speech at a naturalization ceremony at the National Archives in Washington, D.C., a move that garnered attention as her husband has been charged with the illegal retention of archive documents. Speculation about uh, Melania Trump's whereabouts intensified over Christmas when Mr. Trump was spotted in the dining room at Mar-a-Lago, seemingly without any members of his family present, in footage posted to social media. Mr. Lerner lives in Palm Beach and was a Mar-a-Lago member before being permanently banned after the publication of his 2021 expose about the club. He told the Telegraph that Melania Trump hardly ever leaves Mar-a-Lago and leads a strange, isolated life. Mr. Lerner says she is fiercely protective of her 17-year-old son Barron's privacy and is concerned about the level of attention he would attract should Mr. Trump win back the presidency. A Trump World source told Page Six this week that Melania Trump had been feeling more confident in public after her recent outings and would take on a more visible role for her husband's campaign in the new year. Quote, 
Trump and his family are so secure that he will become president again that insiders at Mar-a-Lago say he's reached an agreement with Melania to step up top-tier diplomatic appearances in 2024, the source told Page Six. In September, reports emerged that Melania Trump had quietly negotiated her prenuptial agreement. The new agreement was focused on maintaining and and increasing Barron's substantial trust and was prompted by Mr. Trump's 2024 presidential run and swirling criminal exposure, a source told Page Six. Trump, 77, and Melania, 53, have been married since 2005. Listen. If there's anybody on the fucking planet that believes these two people actually like each other, you're living in fucking delusion land. Now, some people are going to hear this and go, what difference does it make? The difference that it makes is that it's a continuing perpetrate. They're continuing, continuing to portray a lie, a falsehood, an image that isn't real. What do you think the Republicans in this country would say if Michelle Obama was never seen with Barack Obama, if Jill Biden was never seen with Joe Biden, if they were, if they lived essentially separate lives, it would be talked about 24-7 on Fox News and Newsmax. This happy-go-lucky family life that they're portraying, this, this power couple that they're portraying, is a falsehood. Melania Trump knows just how much of a piece of shit Donald Trump is and she doesn't want anything to do with him but she's stuck if he loses the 2024 presidential election I can't imagine she stays with him two years more than that now maybe she's waiting for him to have the big uh, grabber and and kick off finally pass away so she can collect her money But I don't think there's going to be much there for you to collect, honey. I think that when the courts get done with him, he is going to be a broke and busted man. Right down to his artificial cufflinks. So, I mean, you can ask where's Hunter all day long. But I'm asking where's Melania. And I think a lot of other people are asking it too because this is not normal. Speaking of Donald Trump and his legal troubles, a new question has emerged. And that question is, are there members of Congress on Jack Smith's witness list? I'm going to read to you now from Newsweek. A new legal filing by special counsel Jack Smith has sparked new questions about who knew what regarding Donald Trump's mindset and intentions surrounding January 6th, 2021. The motion referring to a pretrial motion. Uh, It says, the motion in Lemini, which I don't know what that means, uh, referring to a pretrial motion requesting uh, certain evidence to be deemed inadmissible and not referred to or offered throughout the trial, blasts Trump and his defense team and accuses them of attempting to inject into the case partisan political attacks and irrelevant and prejudicial issues that have no place in a jury trial. It also requests that the court, uh, the court to not permit Trump to use the courtroom as a forum to, quote, propagate irrelevant dif- disinformation during the trial, saying the defense has repeatedly used rhetoric that may be acceptable on the campaign trail, but not in a trial. The former president and GOP frontrunner is facing a federal case brought by Smith, alleging he worked to overturn the results of the election won by President Joe Biden. Something that nobody can deny. Trump, who has denied any wrongdoing, has been charged with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to obstruct an official proceeding, obstructing a congressional proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin said the motion is seeking to exclude specific evidence about January 6th, such as cross-examination, potentially causing unnamed government witnesses to breach attorney-client privilege under the Constitution's speech and debate clause. And that's the key part right there, the speech and debate clause. It could allude to previously unknown testimony, potentially damaging to the former president, she said. Put another way, the government is making clear 
they have testimony from Trump lawyers and or members of Congress, Rubin wrote on Twitter. Those who testified under that clause may include former Vice President Mike Pence and current Pennsylvania Representative Scott Perry, according to reporting by The Guardian's Hugo Lowell. Trump lashed out at Smith in addition to the Department of Justice President Department of Justice, President Biden, and multiple U.S. intelligence agencies in multiple truth social posts on Christmas Day. The ex-president called Smith deranged and referred to the collective as Biden's misfits and thugs, written in block capital letters. I don't think the special counsel office turned any of Trump's lawyers, attorney Bradley Moss told Newsweek via email. This is more likely referring to testimony obtained after overcoming attorney-client privilege by way of the crime-fraud exemption. Former federal prosecutor Michael McAuliffe told Newsweek via email that the newest filing is the government's anticipation that that Trump's legal team, quote, will try to throw every conceivable political issue and argument in the air in front of the jury and hope and hope that something will cloud its view. This issue of pre-clearing the use of otherwise privileged information doesn't necessarily indicate the government has any unique knowledge of such privileged information, but it does indicate that the government believes the defense will try to use such information on cross-examination of a witness, McAuliffe said. He added, for a witness to be cross-examined on privileged information, the witness presumably needs some connection to the privileged information i.e. a lawyer. That clause only applies to a handful of people in this country, like members of Congress. We already know that Mike Pence is going to be a witness in that case, and I can't fucking wait for that case. Now, that case can't be televised because it's a federal case. However, in federal criminal cases, the defendant must be present every day of court in the courtroom without exception, which means during this trial, Donald Trump will be sitting in the defense chair while staring at the witness stand and his own vice president testifying against him in this case, as well as potentially some of his own lawyers and some members of Congress. I can't fucking wait for that to happen. Fuck this piece of shit. Let's get this motherfucker in prison. You think kicking him off the ballot is the extent of what the Democrats are going to do to this motherfucker? The the judicial system is going to fist fuck this guy seven ways from Sunday because he's committed crimes. Everybody knows he's committed crimes and he's going down for it. Speaking of kicking him off the ballot, you've heard that Colorado... Uh, The Colorado Supreme Court has ruled Trump ineligible to be on the primary ballot in Colorado. Well, yesterday, Maine's Secretary of State kicked Trump off the ballot as well, while Colorado's Secretary of State put Trump back on the ballot. And I'm here to tell you this entire exercise of kicking Trump off of ballots is all going to come down to the Supreme Court, and they could literally rule either way. Personally, I think they're going to rule against kicking Trump off the ballot which could then crush Republicans' hopes of getting Joe Biden kicked off of ballots in red states while also opening the door to challenge some of their rulings concerning states' rights on issues like abortion. Once again, they overturned abortion protections at the federal level through the Supreme Court, arguing that states have a right to do what they want to do. Right? Well, if they say that again here, if they say, hey, listen, states have a right to do what they want to do, so we're going to overrule, then that opens the door for some more lawsuits. Doesn't matter, they're going to rule the same way again. If they rule in favor of kicking Trump off the ballots, then we will see a rush of states, red and blue, trying to kick either Trump or Biden off the ballot in what can only be described as a potential quagmire of epic proportions. So here's my take on kicking Trump off the ballot. Try him, convict him, of inciting an insurrection, and then you'll have a basis to kick him off the ballot. If you bring charges against him and you try him and convict him, then you can kick him off the ballot. The problem is, that's going to take too long. So they're trying to kick him off the ballot ahead of that using the 14th Amendment. And I understand, he clearly violated the 14th Amendment. 
He is clearly guilty of inciting an insurrection. We're going to see that in Jack Smith's case. And I think what ultimately is going to happen is the Supreme Court is ultimately going to overturn Colorado, but when Jack Smith wins his case and Trump is convicted of trying to incite an insurrection against the federal government, then more blue states will turn around and use that as their precedence to go ahead and kick them off their ballots for the primary election, uh, the uh, sorry, the general election in November. That's the way I think it's going to go. Does that mean Trump's not going to be on the ballot in 2024 in several states? No, not even close. Because that's going to take some time. But I think Jack Smith's case, should he win that case, is going to serve as the benchmark, the, the precedence that they can point to and they could say, he's been convicted of trying to incite an insurrection. That's a violation of the 14th Amendment. He cannot be on the ballot, period. Personally, I would like to see us beat him at the ballot box again rather than kick him off the ballot. I would like to see the humiliation of losing a second presidential election in a row. And listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not some delusional person that thinks that he's going to just go, all right, I lost. Damn, that sucks. Time to move on with my life. He's going to claim it was rigged. He's going to claim it was stolen. He's going to claim they cheated because, remember, everything Trump has ever lost in his lifetime was only because he was cheated. Not because he sucks, not because he's a piece of shit, not because he's a subhuman pile of garbage, but because he was cheated. Every fucking thing he ever lost. He lost the 2016 Iowa caucuses to Ted Cruz. He went on to get the nomination, he went on to win the presidency, but he lost the Iowa caucuses, the very first primary in the nation, Iowa caucuses, and he immediately claimed Ted Cruz cheated. Demanded that they do the caucuses over again. I couldn't have possibly lost that. They had to have rigged it. That's Trump. That's Trump in a nutshell. So leave him on the ballot. Let us go beat his ass at the fucking ballot box a second fucking election cycle in a row. Let him go to his fucking grave crying and fucking moaning that he got cheated. And let's make sure he never becomes president through the process of voting against him in numbers that can't be fucking denied. Joe Biden got 81 million votes in 2020. Make it Joe Biden versus Trump in 2024 and see how many fucking votes Biden gets again. What's happening now is sort of an exercise in madness. We're going to kick them off, we're going to put them on, we're going to kick them off, we're going to put them on, we're going to have a bunch of states try and kick them off, and then a bunch of red states try and kick them off, which I find hilarious. The Republicans are like, well, let's get Joe Biden kicked off the ballot in red states. Well, you're going to take Joe Biden off the fucking ballot in, in Nebraska? Fucking go ahead. He's not going to win Nebraska anyway. I, <sighs> it's making us look stupid on the world stage. It's making us look like we don't know what the fuck we're doing. We are an absolute wreck. And we are. We're a fucking train wreck right now. We need to get through the 2024 presidential election, make sure that Donald Trump loses that election, and therefore he's fucking done. Remember, everybody's saying how Joe Biden's too old. He's 81. Donald Trump is 77. Donald Trump is going to be 78 by the next election. Which means he's going to be knocking on the door of, what, 82, 83? By the time 2028 rolls around? It's over, man. If Donald Trump loses this election, he's got two presidential elections under his fuck, presidential election losses under his belt. That'll be three popular vote uh, uh, election losses under his belt. He has cost the Republican Party elections in 2018, 2020, 2022, and if what I hope happens, happens again, and again in 2024. He'll probably have multiple convictions by then. And if the Republican Party even so much as tries to nominate him again in 2028, there will be a backlash of biblical proportions. <sighs> what a clusterfuck. Uh, what's not a clusterfuck what is actually some good news coming out of this week's political uh, news is Biden issuing a blanket pardon for marijuana users. I'm going to read to you now 
from the normal website. And if you're wondering what normal is, it's not spelled N-O-R-M-A-L. It's N-O-R-M-L. It's the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. President Joe Biden issued a directive today expanding the pool of marijuana offenders eligible for federal pardons. Quote, I am issuing a proclamation that will pardon additional offenses of simple possession and use of marijuana under federal and D.C. law, the president stated. Criminal records for marijuana use and possession have imposed needless barriers to employment, housing, and educational opportunities. Too many lives, too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana. It's time that we right these wrongs, he added. The president issued a similar pardon proclamation last October, and in March, the Justice Department opened an online portal for eligible applicants to apply for pardon certificates. Estimates provided at the time by the U.S. Sentencing Commission suggested that nearly 7,000 Americans with low-level federal marijuana-related convictions would be eligible for relief relief under the directive. It is not yet clear how many additional citizens with federal records will be eligible for relief under, the pre- relief under the president's latest proclamation. Normal had called upon the administration to grant blanket, uh, grant blanket pardon relief to nonviolent marijuana of- offenders shortly after the president took office. The president also called upon state officials to take similar steps. Quote, just as no one should be in federal prison solely due to the use of use or possession of marijuana, no one should be in a local jail or state prison for that reason either, the president said. That's why I continue to urge governors to do the same with regard to state offenses and applaud those who have since taken action. While the president's pardons only apply with federal convictions, the overwhelming majority of marijuana-related arrests and convictions occur at the state level. In recent years, Lawmakers in two dozen states have enacted legislation facilitating the expungement of certain state-level cannabis convictions. According to publicly available data compiled by Normal, state and local officials have issued approximately 100,000 marijuana-related pardons and more than 2.3 million marijuana-related expungements since 2018. Millions of Americans carry the burden and stigma of a past conviction for behavior that the majority of voters no longer believe should be a crime, Normal's Deputy Director Paul Armentano said. Our sense of justice and our principles of fairness demand that public officials and the courts move swiftly to right the past wrongs of cannabis prohibition and criminalization, he added. Last November, President Biden also used his executive authority to order the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Attorney General to initiate the administrative process to review expeditiously how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. In August, Bloomberg News obtained a letter from the top Department of Health and Human Services official, Health and Human Services official recommending that the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration reclassify cannabis from a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 3 controlled substance under federal law. The DEA has yet to take any public action on the matter. Normal criticized the rescheduling recommendation, opining rescheduling marijuana fails to provide states with the explicit legal legal authority to regulate it within their borders as they see fit, free from federal interference. Instead, normal calls on removing from the CSA altogether in a manner similar to alcohol. And that's what should be done. We should not just reschedule it. We should take it off of the schedule completely, just like we did with alcohol. And states should have the right to be able to regulate it, as normal said, how they see fit, without fear of the federal government coming down on it. We are clearly seeing a trend in this country over the last several years, with states legalizing not only medicinal cannabis usage, uh, possession, and consumption, but also recreational marijuana usage, possession, and consumption. We've got multiple states now, over what, over 27 states that have now legalized it for, for recreational usage. We're seeing expungement of records. We're seeing pardons in mass. We're seeing the shift, right? It's happening. It's just happening slowly. This country's mentality towards cannabis possession, consumption, and and usage, uh, 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 usage 
is shifting. It's shifting away from the failed war on drugs. It's shifting away from the just say no years of Nancy Reagan and the dare years of when my kids were in school. And it's and it's opening to a more understanding and inclusive acceptance of cannabis usage. It has taken decades to get here. So I understand it's going to move a little slowly as the process begins to unfold. But God damn, guys, we, we got to get this done. It, it is a joke that we still have cannabis laws in this country that prohibit people from possessing and consuming cannabis. It's a fucking joke. We are an embarrassment for what we have done to generations of people. Do you know how much wealth has been transferred from the people of this country into the hands of the federal and state governments because of marijuana uh, convictions? Because of something that those very states are now making money on. Billions. My entire life, the states in this country have been locking up drug dealers for selling marijuana, and now they're the marijuana dealers. Think about that. They're now taking a cut from you buying your wheat. Here in Illinois, sold over a billion dollars worth of wheat in one year. Good on you, President Biden. Seriously, good on you for issuing these blanket pardons, doing what you can at the federal level, and good on the states that have already done the same thing on the local level. But we need for the federal government to just open this up, to say anywhere in the country you are free to possess and consume cannabis for whatever reason you want to. We, we have... In this country, you can brew your own beer in your garage and be considered an artisan. Hey, he does craft beer in his garage. But if you smoke a joint on your deck, you're a criminal. It's insanity, folks. It's absolute fucking insanity. And this is just another step in the right direction. This is very, very, very good news. Now... How would I like to end this particular last episode of 2023? Well, I would like to end this episode by talking about the things I started this episode with. Heading into the new year. I truly do wish each and every person listening to this podcast... A great New Year. I hope that your New Year's Eve is great. I hope you don't do do something too fucking stupid that's going to cause you to wind up in the pokey. I hope you have fun. I hope you get to see some friends, party it up. We're not really New Year's Eve people around here. And I I don't know, maybe I'm just not a New Year's Eve person and my wife has gone along with it all these years. I, I don't know, but we just really don't do a lot on New Year's Eve. But as we head into the New Year, a lot of people have hopes I have hopes. I have some goals for the new year. I am going to try my very best to grow three different streams of revenue in the new year. Obviously, there's our trucking company. And I got to be honest with you, I shouldn't have done payroll before doing this fucking podcast this morning because... It just spotlighted what a bad spot we're in. But I have hopes that I can turn this around. I have hopes that I can fill the empty trucks. I have hopes that we can we can develop work in the new year through the carrier that we use to turn this thing around. I am hopeful. So that is one stream of revenue that I am going to try and grow. No matter how well I grow that stream of revenue in the new year, however, I will not have the ability in one calendar year to grow it enough to replace my wife's salary. It just won't happen. The second stream of revenue that I'm going to attempt to grow is our newly formed uh, online uh, signing service agency. 
that's going to take some time. That's going to take me selling myself quite literally to people across the country. I have to put my salesman hat back on. And I have to sell me and my company to closing agents, real estate agents, and bankers, and whatnot across the country and try to develop a, a customer base that can supply enough work to both myself and my wife that hopefully they can get her out of this fucking company that she's in. So that's the second form of re- stream of revenue that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to attempt to be growing in the new year. The third stream of revenue I'm going to be attempting to grow in the new year is the monetization of my online presence, my content. I am making a couple of bucks off of the ads that you will hear on these episodes here on this podcast. I'm making a couple of bucks off of the other podcast, which is a a subscription service. I'm making a couple of bucks off the merch store. I'm going to have some new advertisers on the website in the new year. So I'm, I'm going to be trying to grow that into a third stream of revenue. And my hope is... Hope. (laughs) Hope is something that I've had a lot of in recent weeks and months with very little good outcome. But my hope is that collectively I can generate enough revenue from these three streams that we can replace my wife's salary. And then it comes down to me being able to convince her to leave. She's not as much of a risk taker as I am, and that is a phenomenal balance to me because I sometimes take too many risks. She keeps me grounded. She is the level head to my pie in the sky. She is the person with her feet on the ground while I'm floating in the clouds going, yeah, we can do all of this stuff. It's going to be great, man. So... I'm hoping I can develop those three streams of revenue. I am going to work as hard as I possibly can in the new year to do that very thing, to develop these three streams of revenue. And we'll be able to compare notes at the end of the year and see how I did. In addition to that, I am hoping to get some answers on a neurological or some other type of issue that's going on with our daughter, Lily, which has me a bit freaked out. I, I worry about all my kids. I worry about all my kids all the time. I want my kids to have happy lives. I want them to be healthy. I want them to be happy and fruitful and enjoy this life. And I hate to see any one of them go through anything financial, romantically, you know, through breakups, or medically. And. For the longest time, most of my worries have been placed in our daughter, Magnolia, who I've helped through a handful of things, and who has come through them well, but that's where most of my worry has been placed. Right now, I'm very worried about Lily, and... The dad in me can't figure out a way to turn that part off of me. Turn that off in my brain. My own health scare with my PSA, I got good news on just before Christmas. Um, So, that's one less thing on my mind. Now, I know I've got to work on my health, and Renee and I have a plan to do that very thing. Uh, for both of our sakes, not because we're looking to become 
Sports Illustrated swimsuit models. Just because we're looking to be a little bit healthier as we head into our old age to strengthen the vessel that is our bodies so that as we do progress through our age and things begin to happen to us, we can fight off those things a little bit better and live a healthier lifestyle. But I can't do that for my daughter. Only the doctors can. So there's that. I I, I head into 2024 worried about the level of work that we have through our companies, worried about the health of my child, worried about the happiness of all of my children, and worried about my wife's career. And I can only control some of those things and only over a long period of time, a prolonged, protracted period of time. So I know going into the new year that it's not going to be like flicking a switch. I know going into the new year it's going to be a lot of misery for me. And I don't like that, but I have to figure out a way to deal with it. I have to figure out a way to shut the fuck up, learn to deal with things, and just keep my head down and grind so I can rebuild companies that can, I say rebuild because I had a company in the past, that would build companies that can support our family. And I can tell you that I am laser-focused on that very thing. Because what we're doing is not sustainable. It's just not. It, it, it can't last much longer. So I have a lot of hopes for the new year from a personal standpoint that I am going to try and work on. From a political and societal standpoint... I hope that we as a society can continue to progress away from fascist ideals. We can continue to progress towards a truly free nation for all. That we can continue to progress towards a nation where people can afford health care and education. That we continue to progress as a society towards uh, a point where everybody who works a full-time job can actually afford to live in this country. And from a political standpoint, I hope that the people of this country make the right decisions in November. Specifically as it pertains to the occupant of the Oval Office over the course of the next four years. And once again, I don't want Joe Biden to be president. But Donald Trump can't be president. So I will, if Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee, be first in line to cast my vote for him. I will make sure everybody I know that understands just how damaging Donald Trump can be to this country and would be if he got a second term, vote against him. There's a lot going on in 2024, folks, from a personal standpoint, from a social standpoint, from a political standpoint, and it is going to be a mess of a year. But... Whether it's a mess of a year or it's a hella good year, as the kids would say, it's here and we got to face it together. That's it. 2023 is over, folks. Thank fucking God. Time to make 2024 our bitch. Folks, that's all I got for you this week. Don't forget to check out the website, order yourself up the book, get some merch, subscribe to my other podcast, help me grow these streams of revenue, and make sure you check back in next Friday for another all-new episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Until then, as always, stay grateful. <laughs>